to many of you, today is March 30th. Hopefully, for all of you, today is opening day of baseball. In approximately five or so minutes, Dan Nathan, they will be throwing out the first pitch in the storied uh, cathedral of a ballpark known as Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. We still call it Yankee Stadium. We don't have names like City Field. You know, they don't need the taglines from a place like that. They are Yankee Stadium. They will never be uh, Yankee Stadium brought to you by Manufacturers Hanover. I am a bit off the rails here, but I am Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan, who is no doubt scowling at me as we speak. This is Market Call. It is Thursday, March 30th. Today's Market Call, Dan, brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And of course, fact set financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They're our data provider as well. In just a few minutes, EY from SoFi, the Brewer fan, will be joining us, sporting um, a nice pair of goggles, if I may. And of course, we got some butters today. It's a lot for 30 minutes, but we will effort. Dan, back to you. We, we are efforting, Guy. Um, and yesterday we had a little moment. Guys, tell us what you think. Did you like Guy and I almost being shoulder to shoulder uh, doing the market call? We did it at 3.30. How did you feel about 3.30 into the close? Interesting time. Interesting yeah. time. I think, you know, we're trying to figure out what is the best. We got, you know, as people say, we got a lot of things in the hopper here yeah. at Risk Reversal Media. And then we're playing around with some times, perhaps different uh, di- mediums in which we disperse. Our content, yeah. I don't even know if that's the right terminology, but I use it anyway. Yeah, so let's, you know, listen, we've been spending a lot of time in the banks, um, and, and I don't know how we can talk about the markets right now. I, I know we've been talking about this kind of um, dispersion between what's going on in financial-oriented um, stocks and what's going on between um, basically mm-hmm. everything that's not, right? And we've talked about the, um, you know, just the outperformance of the NASDAQ of late. I just think it's interesting, Guy, you know, yesterday, I think we were a bit frustrated. The market keeps moving higher. It's climbing a wall of worry. All those no, things. Don't, please you, don't. I, I'm in such a good mood please don't wreck it i'm begging you but 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 it's interesting on a dime guy you know we have again we have the kre which is the um you know the uh, regional bank index it's down 1.6 percent right Mm -hmm. here we have the xlf which reversed it was trading um i think up a half a percent now it's down a half a percent we have uh first republic which is down nearly four percent um you know schwab we're going to spend some time on that um downgraded um by morgan stanley um down five percent I mean, again, at some point, guy, doesn't the rest of the market kind of have to pay attention to not only the most economically sensitive group, but also the group that has been like, I mean, literally, we've had extraordinary measures by the feds bailing banks out, other mm-hmm. banks, you know, t- you know, taking action to kind of stop gap, you know, runs on banks and that sort of thing. It just seems very odd to me um, that the rest of the market is not paying any attention. right Lots to unravel there. I don't know if Jacob or Stephen can do this on the fly, but we might as well pull up an XLF chart. And if we could yeah. do it over sort of a four or five year period of time, just to sort of illustrate the levels that we've talked about. I mean, I think as last I looked, it's trading about 31 and a half or so. I will tell you, you know, that 29 and a half level was resistance to the upside. And if we can sort of go farther back, I don't know if we're able to do that or not. There it is. That's the chart I want, Dan. So right before, obviously, COVID, this is where the XLF topped out at. Obviously, you saw what happened in the subsequent months for obvious reasons. But, you know, past resistance becomes support. And we're finding it right here. The real question you have to ask yourself, um, if this were to break down, what does it mean? And as we said, I think on Tuesday, the four major components of this are Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, MasterCard and Visa. It's actually pretty ill-constructed ETF, but 
people look at it. So, you know, through 29 and a half, I think things get interesting and then we're going to have a much different conversation. To answer your question as to why the broader market isn't acting in kind, I think part of it is to your point, quarter end, a lot of strange things, month end, quarter end, strange things happen there. And I think in some regards, it's a flight to perceive safety, quality, whatever, in the form of some of these obviously um, tech names that we talk about seemingly on a minute to minute basis. Yeah. And again, you know, while a lot of people never heard of Silicon Valley Bank or never heard of Signature Bank or never heard of Silvergate Bank and, and some of the ones that have since acquired those others, um, they have heard of Charles Schwab. And, you know, this is a name that we've kind of focused on um, a little bit because, again, they have, you know, uh, trillions and trillions. I think it was seven trillion dollars in deposits. Now, like those deposits, they also have um, a bank, but a lot of those deposits are covered by um, FDIC insurance. And then there's also securities insurance, the SBIC, um, that sort of thing. But there's a large amount that are not. And I think there's some fears of that. Morgan Stanley downgraded the stock mm -hmm. um, today after the stock had already gone from, I mean, you can see that chart right there. It was trading $86 um, in January. And now we have the stock at $42.30. Um, can't get out of its own way. And really feels like it's going to break. And when you see that sort of downgrade by a large financial institution of another one, I know that it sounds like that's just what these analysts do, but don't think for a second mm -hmm. that they don't give a lot of thought that, that somebody has to kind of approve that. Like, you know what I mean? Above. I agree with that. Standards because the last thing Morgan Stanley wants to do is cause panic among investors, you know, but they must see something here and and it really is deposit outflows is is really the main story. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, somebody in the comment section that I've been reading said that you guy you've been saying that this thing sort of culminates with the take under isn't Credit Suisse, UBS, that type of thing. Yeah, I guess. And I and I, you know what? That's a point well taken. I'm looking more U.S. Uh, centric banks, and and I'm not going to point fingers at any because I don't want to be that person. But there are a number of banks that are trading as if you know, something like that is in the works. And to your point about Charles Schwab, yeah, you got that pretty significant bounce on that big flush day. And the CEO announced, I think he bought 50,000 shares or something of that magnitude. Don't at me if I'm wrong by a few. But, you know, the bounce didn't last. And here we are. And the XLF, as I mentioned, I think we're at pretty critical support levels. And it's interesting, Jacob, if you could pull this up, this is from Tafe Tozy. And if I pronounced it incorrectly, I'm sorry. But he says he added you, but he didn't add me. So I appreciate that. He said, at Dan and Guy, just look at the move slash VIX ratio chart. And you'll see we hit levels today we haven't seen since October of 08. Risk is mispriced to extreme levels. I will take your word for it, uh, Tafe. But it's something we you know, we've been mentioning in a different way, Dan. As you know, one of the things yeah. that I've been saying is bond volatility is at extreme levels. It's just a matter of time before we manifest it into the equity market. And at 1132 today, just to sort of jump around, if we could pull up a VIX chart, I don't know what happened, you know, and it's not a big deal because the VIX is still below 20, but the VIX went from like 1920 to 1980, literally in a few minutes. So I don't know if we have a sort of a short term chart of the VIX. You can see that move. So strange things as we head to quarter end. Yeah. I think you know where I stand. I know where you stand. Um, but here we are and we'll try to sort it out together. Well, and, and I just want to kind of put a fine point on what uh, Morgan Stanley's analyst is doing to earnings estimates, more importantly than the ratings cut here, that they are cutting their th uh, 2023 EPS estimate by 30%. I mean, by 30%. Um, and, and so now they are 21% below consensus for 2023 and 26 below 
uh, 26% below consensus for 2024 earnings. And right now I'm looking at facts that, um, you know, we're expected to see three hundred uh, $3.97 in 2023 earnings and $4.95 um, in 2024. Uh, I mean, those are some massive sorts of cuts. And, you know, we've been focused, Guy, as far as where earnings cuts were going to start, as far as in, in the technology sector for the most part, right? Because we've seen a deceleration of a lot of metrics and we know a lot of these companies have been cutting costs. But to have it happen in, in a company like Schwab right now, mm -hmm. I mean, let's see who follows suit here and let's see if this stock can kind of make up, um, a, you know, a bottom at some point. That panic low from about two weeks ago after the uh, Silicon Valley Bank failure um, was, I think, 45 or so. Here we are at 40, uh, 52. This is an interesting – I want to bring Liz in a second, so I'm sorry, Dan, but I like these comments. And this is from BM. Uh, just so we understand each other, BM for me means something entirely different than I'm sure for you, BM, but that's neither here nor there. And I guarantee EY is cracking up in the background. But BM says, when you throw the kitchen sink at the market and she behaves like it is just dust on her shoulders, you cannot be bearish. Okay, absolutely true that the, a lot has been thrown at the markets. But there was this great movie, Dan, and indulge me for a second. It was, I think, Force 10 from Navarone. And Part of the movie was focused on they were trying to blow up a dam in order to knock out a bridge that was down river and they detonated the dynamite and the dam just sort of stood there for a while. And the guy it was think it was, as a matter of fact, Harrison Ford said nothing happened. And the guy, the uh, the I guess the explosive expert said, just give it time. Nature will take its course. And that's what happened. So I would submit. You're right, BM, that nothing's happened. But I also think you have to give it some time to play out in the form of earnings and some of these revisions. Sorry, Dan, that was a good analogy by me, but back to you. Great analogy and yeah. a really good pull with Harrison Ford coming off his uh, star turn as, uh, you know, the great, the great Han Solo in 1977. Yeah, no, he crushed Star it Wars. in... Uh, I think in, it was 1978, yeah. Force 10 from Navarone with uh, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, he's the guy that you really enjoy. One of my favorite actors of all time. Jaws to the One Deep. My, what the else? Sting. He was in yeah. Sting. He was yeah. actually in a James Bond movie. He played a villain. Uh, he was in um, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah. He stole every single movie that he was in. He was absolutely brilliant. His portrayal of Lonigan in The Sting uh, should be up there in the top 10 performances in the he, history of cinema. He was the mark. Wasn't he the mark? He guy? was. Yeah, he, he was, was the mark. The mark. All right, let's do it because at this man, point, this is so, man, Liz, it's so Liz good. Kind of I could do this shit all day long, by the way. Liz, Liz so. probably lied down a little bit, just taking a nap. <laughs> look at her. She's just, uh, look at you, look like a deer in headlight. Oh, no, those are just your glasses. Yeah, they're, that's. Oh, what, stop what it. You're just, you're yeah. jealous of my accessory game. Yeah, but I like get there it. is no it's prescription fine. in those. It's just oh, so, yes, there is. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm right. nearsighted. Hey, hey, Liz, you, you heard uh, some of the stuff we had to say. It, it's interesting. Before I heard we about get BM. To, yeah, yeah, you, did. you caught that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> BM is not expecting a flush, is what I understood. <laughs> oh, oh, no. um, yeah. Go ahead, but, Dan. I'm sorry. Let's talk about there's a Bloomberg article talking about wild stock market reversals put buyers on pace for a historic year. 2023 is shaping up to be the second 
best year for the dip buying strategy. It also comes at a time, maybe um, we can find that Michael Burry tweet. He's, I guess, apologizing guy mm. for saying to sell. He had a tweet on February 1 that just said, sell. Now, selling in February actually worked out pretty well. And if you think about the NASDAQ, I, I, I don't know a, why he's apologizing, to be honest with you, because the NASDAQ's basically right back towards those highs. Okay. So if you, if he had said buy in a one, in a one word tweet, maybe at the lows a month ago, he'd look kind of smart. Um, but what, what do you make of this Liz that we are BTFD it's back on sister. Like, I mean, come on, like, like, have we learned nothing People are relentless with this BTFD stuff. And yeah. look, I applaud them. And I don't think he was wrong either. I, I'm I'm unclear why he's apologizing. And, you know, if anybody should be apologizing, maybe it's us for being bearish since the beginning of the year. But uh, look, I think it's going to take a lot to get people to come off of that similar type of muscle memory that we keep talking about, right? It's the market goes down a little bit. We don't have conclusive data that says it should go down much further. So then in come the dip buyers. But there are things that are happening uh, little by little. And something I would point people to that is not going to make headlines today is that we got gross domestic income information today, which is supposed to be the same as gross domestic product. But this time it was absolutely not. Gross domestic income actually came in at negative 1.1 for the fourth quarter, whereas GDP came in at 2.6 positive. So something's amiss there. Mm -hmm. Something's not being measured properly. One of them is probably wrong. Perhaps both of them are wrong. Bottom line being that if you average the two, you only get 0.7% growth in the economy in the fourth quarter. So this narrative around, well, GDP is still so strong, the consumer is still so strong, not really ringing all that true anymore. And look, I'm not here to tell people to buy a two-week dip or sell at a two-week high, and I still think that it's okay to not be doing either of those things in these big swings. See what you did there, guy. She's a poet. <laughs> she doesn't even know it. No, it's fantastic. Well, the glasses I, changed the that, whole right. That, that was that was some that was some good stuff there. Hey, guy, let, let's just really quickly, you know, I you know, I got an email from a guy who watches our stuff, listens to our stuff. Um, and, and I, we appreciate email. We appreciate the feedback. We appreciate you guys like kind smashing of like, the like button. No, but obviously follow us uh, on the risk reversal media uh, YouTube page here, people. This is how you watch this fine program market call. But you know, it, it was it was interesting. Somebody um, was mentioning that oh oh, are you guys doing a one eighty right here? Have you changed your tune a little bit? And it's funny because. You know, for me, I think it's important to point out, like we, we use lots of different inputs, right? To arrive at kind of our market views, that sort of thing. Guy, you and I have been really consistent just saying like, you know, let's pull up the S&P chart right here. It's like, it, it, it looks constructive. You know what I mean? It feels constructive. It, 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 and if you're looking at the things that are working here, I mean, listen, this is going to work itself into, as you like to say, a bit of tension. It's going to break one way or another. That If you look at the NASDAQ 100, though, this one has a little, it's got a different look and feel to it, right? It's already broken um, mm -hmm. the downtrend that has been in place. And now if you get just kind of look at that um, resistance level going back to um, almost a year ago right now, you know, it really feels like it wants to break out. It's much farther above its 200-day moving average. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that versus like some of the qualitative judgments that we're trying to make about the data, about sentiment, about where the VIX is at 19. You just mentioned it went to 1980, but it's still below that psychologically yeah. important 20 level. So, I mean, we this, this program in particular, we like visuals, right? Because they kind of help tell the story. And these visuals are looking like if we didn't know all the stuff that we kind of are just kind of described about financials and maybe growth 
growth slowing and all that sort of stuff, you'd say you want to buy this chart for a breakout. It's interesting. Geary says um, he's basically if, if you pull up the Geary tweet, he said to the extent, you know, don't be dogmatic in your views. And I understand that you have to be flexible, but you have to have, in my opinion, you, know, you have to have some basis for what you're putting this all these um, all these opinions on the back of. And for me, it, it is about fundamentals and the fundamentals are in, in a word awful. I think we've all sort of laid them out there. Now, the flip side of the coin is. As the market, let's just say the market continues to do this grind, breaks through these resistance levels, uh, the VIX finds a home at 20, that will begin to feed on itself. We have all three of us have seen that before. So in the wake, in, in, the, in the face of what should be very negative news, the market can absolutely rally. We have seen it. I don't think we're there yet. But with each passing day, as more and more people feel like they're being left behind, Money will start to chase. Again, I don't think we're at that point yet. So, yeah. yeah, I can see when I'll change my mind. Like, it'll be pretty clear that, you know what, the world sucks and things are really getting worse, not better. But the market doesn't seem to care. But I don't think we've reached that inflection point yet, Dan. Yeah. So, you know, we had a great pod yesterday. It dropped on the tape. Um, it was a bonus. We did. Guy and I did with uh, Josh Brown of Ritholtz. Well, we also know him. Um, he, he, he sits in the number two seat on the halftime report next to <laughs> Young. Um, uh, and we love him. And Mike Batnick was on with us too. And, and, and Josh had a really interesting description of why he thinks we are rallying in the face of all this other stuff. So check out that pod. It was in the podcast store. Liz, you know, we all follow you at Liz Young Strat. Guy says, if you're not following Liz wrong, on Twitter, man. you're doing it wrong here. You post lots of charts, but they're not really technical analysis. They're, they're charts of data series and that sort of thing. When you hear people come at you as a strategist and say, what do you think of the technicals of an index or something like that? Do, does, is that an important input for you? And do you look at charts the same way, let's say the guy and I do? I look at them. I'm not a technician, so I don't try to create them, but mm -hmm. I do look at them and I would call them more of a confirmation or something that would make me scratch my head if I was already convicted on an idea. So let's say, for example, I wanted to buy utilities. Somebody posts a chart about utilities and technicals being really weak, which is actually the case right now, funny enough. And it would make me question myself. Is this the right time? What's the time frame of that? Technical charts are usually pretty short term. If I'm buying something that I intend to hold for at least a year, I probably ignore the technicals in the short term. Okay. And right before we get to her uh, note, because I, I have some comments on that, I just want to pull up a tweet or whatever, a comment from Jim Trader. Uh, maybe Jacob can just pull it up. I don't need to speak to it. Um, maybe you'll see it in a second. Jacob, there you go. EY, you want to address that? <gasps> I'm offended. <laughs> I'm so offended. Yes, they do. The Milwaukee Brewers. They also open today. They're against the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field, so they're opening away. The home opener is on Monday against the yeah. New York Mets. There you go. Also, Dan knows this, but I, know. I am the only woman in Manhattan who has both the MLB package and the NFL Sunday ticket. Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Dan. I needed to insert no, that it, into the it, conversation. It, it's pretty dope. And, and Guy is actually trying to start a campaign to get Liz to. 100%. It's going to happen. I, I can almost guarantee. Yeah. I don't speak with certainty about many things, but I can almost guarantee oh that that God. will happen at some point this year. I'm terrified. Well, Liz, go, going back to you know some of the data that you, you that you point out here, um, your note this morning: um, expect the unexpected. It's on the the SoFi blog, SoFi.com backslash blog, I think slash blog, something like that. Um, 
And you are basically taking a look, taking a little stock of Q1, some of the outperformance of the NASDAQ. Walk us through what you're seeing here. You know, I, I think you've heard Guy and, and myself say that we really think that as we get into Q1 earnings and kind of think about what Q2 uh, guidance looks like, we might see numbers continue to come down in some of the mega cap tech stocks. And maybe some of that outperformance comes out of the market here a little bit, especially as we're into quarter end. The NASDAQ 100 is up more than 18% on the year already. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing, what you're thinking, what you wrote. Yeah, first of all, there was a comment after that little conversation. Somebody said that guy was obviously a fib. Bonus points for anybody who knows what a fib is. If you know, you know. Anyway, all right. Big surprises in Q1. The NASDAQ bounce back. Look, the NASDAQ here is like that player on a basketball court that can't miss a three-pointer. And we all know that that's a streaky thing to happen in a game, maybe in a couple games. And the, that player usually has to take the shot from the same spot. Maybe it's the top of the key every single time, but eventually they do miss. They get in their own head and they miss. I feel like that's what's happening to the NASDAQ here. Now, it doesn't mean that these shots aren't going to go in for the next couple weeks. We have PCE tomorrow. We have CPI, I believe, April 12th. If both of those come in weak, which is possible, we could continue to see a rally in NASDAQ stocks. But I don't think that this is sustainable, especially given the big spread. So it's not that I just hate a bull market. I love a bull market when it's real. I just don't think that this is real. And the spread between these big groups of so things like large cap value and small cap and the NASDAQ just don't make a ton of sense uh, for the rest of the year, especially because you've seen the NASDAQ, the Qs especially have a 15% quarter. We're not going to have three more 15% quarters, in my opinion. So this was probably one of the biggest surprises of Q1 coming into the year. If everybody remembers, the narrative was you want value for 2023. You want equal weight. You want the stuff that didn't do well uh, leading up to the peak in the market. That continues actually to be my narrative. But I think that we do need a correction first to actually see that rotation happen. It's interesting, Dan. And I'm going to go to her next graph as well. But it's success bias is, is what I mean. I don't know if that's the right term, but, you know, people get hypnotized by thinking, you know, Steph Curry's made nine, nine threes in a row, he's going to make the 10th and you get that success bias, but a lot, most things in life do mean revert. And this outperformance at a certain point will get back in line with the other things. Now, the question is, do other things catch up on the upside or is it some, you know, semblance of, of NASDAQ coming down and the others sort of uh, making up some ground, but that is what I think she speaks of in that, and that's why I like it so much, Dan. Nathan. Well, another another thing, another point I would make. Everybody knows I love to talk about small caps, but the reason that I wanted to highlight small caps here is that if if you believe that we're in the early stages of a new bull market or we're in the early stages of an economic expansion, small caps should not be underperforming. Small caps usually are the leaders out of uh, a drawdown or out of a bear market if we are actually embarking on a new expansion. So the fact that the IWM has not kept up and has in fact underperformed on, on up and down days doesn't bode well for that narrative. Yeah. Um, let's talk to us a little well, bit. Hold, I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. Whoa. Aaron judge dials nine. Oh. Stop. Bottom of the first. Stop. I mean, wow. just, I mean that, what did I say? I'm just telling you now. Oh, I mean, wait, it's are, just, the MVP you can, years, are they already coming out? MVP, MVP. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that, that does that. 
But anyways, is there anybody on you. base? Any ducks? Any ducks on the pond? No, no ducks on the when pond. This yard? Sister. Oh, okay. No, okay. Yeah. You know what? You know what was super cool on um, Sports Center this morning? Um, they had a uh, like a compilation of like opening day, you know, like 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 amazing feats in opening day, and one of them was like in '98, McGuire. I think um, was he a leadoff back then, guy or no? McGuire? He no. Four. No, he must. No. But he 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 knocked one out in his first at bat. Um, there was the first game ever at Nats Park. Okay, I think there was like sure. early the early two thousands or something Bucks. like that. Walk off, walk off homer to win the game by the Nats. Like that was pretty cool. There was like there was like a bunch of cool stuff, you know. Um, all right, well, so guys, hey, baseball's it. not boring. Yeah. No, f no, it's not. Well, listen, they're trying to speed this crap up, and I'm sure everyone's like, "I wish." Let you me tell you something. You know, good for Major League. We are so off the friggin' rails. <laughs> they yeah. shaved 26 minutes off games in in exhibition and yeah. whatever they call it. I mean, that's that is significant. So if you can get games down to two and a half hours, that's fa that's fantastic. These three plus hour games are horseshit. Back to you, Dan. No, I, I agree. I mean, they're tough to, to tough, tough to sit through and worse on TV because the commercials. Um, Liz, talk to us a little bit um, about uh, just kind of uh, yields, uh, volatility in yields, and and really expectations for cuts because this is, to me, I think how this plays out in Q2 will really be like the determining factor of whether we have a retest of the October lows in the S&P and then obviously the January-ish match lows in, in the NASDAQ. And it's kind of hard to imagine at this point that that could happen. But I think rate expectations are going to be a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. This chart, I love this chart. It looks so dramatic, but it's not even, we didn't even have to dramatize it in order to make it. So I think coming into the quarter, we all knew that the yield curve was a little wonky looking and it was not making a pattern that bodes well for the future. So there was probably something waiting to happen there. But the surprise here, I'm calling this the terrible twos, the surprise here was how volatile and the amount, the, the, the range of, of swings in the two-year yield on an intraday basis, not just you know from one month to the next. We're talking from open to close in one day. So that the rolling 10-day average of those swings on a daily basis is above where it was in 2008, 2009. And that is something mm -hmm. remarkable. That is also something that does not necessarily suggest stable market conditions. And as we know, we hit uh, a, a spread of 110 basis points, an inversion of 110 basis points. So some of this volatility may be not too surprising given that now we've closed that inversion. I think we're at 55 basis points today. But this is the kind of stuff that if you watch the kind of steady march up in the NASDAQ and say, oh, everything's okay, buy the dip is here, everybody's going to continue to do that, we can't fight it. You got to look at a chart like this and say, mm, something still doesn't feel right. And the treasury market is not the place where you should see the highest amount of volatility in the broader uh, asset allocation a spectrum. Amen. Amen. And that goes back to an earlier question. We got an earlier comment and something I've been saying for a while. And you, this chart, I mean, just visually, this explains exactly what's going on. I mean, this surpasses what we saw in 0809. I think we all remember what happened then. We're not comparing it to what was going on then in terms of the leverage in the system, but the vol volatility in the bond market is there. And I love the whole rate expectations, of course, playing off the great Charles Dickens, I believe maybe his 13th novel or so. And it's interesting that you wear the glasses today because <laughs> I think one of the uh, protagonists in that book, if I'm not mistaken, is like Miss 
Halvisham or something. Huh. And if, if memory serves, she probably had similar glasses back to you, Dan. Um, That's a Jesuit education at work, by the way. Yeah. Um, guy, let's let's look at um, uh, one 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 name here. Um, our friend Mike Backnick, who is on the podcast. Michael. Uh, you know, you've done it twice now, so I let you do it the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. But he was very clear yesterday <laughs> that it's not Mike. Yeah, Michael Backnick. Uh. No, but he mentioned that he had just bought um, a little SL Green. This is an office read, and and let, let's pull this chart up because it got me kind of looking at this thing. It's down thirty four percent on the year. I mean, this thing looks like as guy adami used to say and someone tweeted at us yesterday can guy adami bring back the term grim death this thing looks like grim death i mean just look at where it kind of broke down it's probably like 31 dollars, and 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 what happened mm -hmm. to it it went straight to basically 20 um and if we can back it out a little further here and it's interesting though all right so that there's that 40 dollar breakdown level um if you if you will you see where that 200 day moving average is um you know all the way up there guy like is there hope for some of these sectors here because like this this one in particular is hit by a whole host of different issues but one of the issues that we keep talking about and we keep hearing smart people that you and I read is that there's a problem emerging and in, in debt associated with commercial real estate Liz we've talked about it a little bit um just like the piles the hundreds of billions that need to be refinanced at much higher rates and then when you have occupancies where they are and the like here so talk to me a, a little bit about trying to bottom fish in a name like this yeah so this is office space and basically malls shopping malls in new york new york city area. i mean that's not really where you want to be and yeah i mean you're picking a bottom here but if we were to go if we were to extend this out in 2010 just just for visuals i mean this was like a nine dollar stock so could it round trip that entire thing well the backdrop, you, some might say the backdrop's actually worse now because there was hope, I think, back then that people would things would get better. People would go back to work, those types of things. People might be going back to work, but they ain't going back to work in office building. So that ship has sailed, in my opinion. So I don't know. I mean, if he's planning for a trade, as you say, Dan, have at it. But the fundamentals, I mean, there's nothing to like here, in my opinion. All right, let's let's get out of here with the I, listen. Other than EY from SoFi on mm. Thursdays, we have one very very yeah. important segment. Um, guy, you know him. You just hashtag in front of his name. Uh, it is John Butters. Hashtag. No, no, Butters. it's not. No, no. Yeah, 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 it is. And he is <laughs> senior earnings insight analyst over there at Facts that he writes every Friday morning. It could be in your inbox. You just have to go to fact set and sign up for it his weekly earnings insight and you know the data that we get out of that and we get a preview of it on thursday's market call here um i think is really informative we actually end up quoting it the whole next week in, in our pods and such because it's pretty useful here but liz i'd love to get your take on some of this okay so butters this is today analysts have cut earnings estimates for s p 500 companies for q1 2023 by about six percent aggregate during the quarter the decline is larger than the five-year average the 10-year average the 15-year average and the 20-year average when you see a data set like that what, what does it kind of tell you because again we've seen analysts cutting expectations into the quarter end and then we have companies coming in line with those lowers expectations right and then guiding kind of mediocre and then the estimates come down again right like and so we have like this death by a thousand cuts rather than some of these companies just lowering the boom or as we were talking about with schwab i mean we have not seen an analyst i have not seen in a hundred billion dollar market cap company cut earnings 
for 30 by 30 percent for two years and like since covid okay like going back to 2020 so what are we on the precipice here as we get into q1 earnings in the next couple of weeks so first of all it should be below the five-year average and the 10-year average because aside from covid which we all know was very quick and unique and actually a lot of companies benefited from the aftermath of that we haven't had a real recession since 2008, 2009, which was now almost 15 years ago. So they they should be cutting by more than the last five or 10 years. Now, you're right, death by a thousand cuts, they're going to cut estimates and then companies, it's easier to meet or beat them. But here's the difference. Now they're cutting estimates and we're looking at negative year over year growth for probably the second quarter in a row. So whether it's death by a thousand cuts or not, the math says that earnings growth is contracting, which yeah. is a signal of recession. So don't get fooled by a company meeting or beating. And I think what's going to happen is the market is going to stop rewarding that. We've kind of seen rewards and maybe not as much punishment as, as was appropriate, in my opinion. I think there's going to be a flip as we get into first quarter earnings season and we start to hear from companies. This could also be the first time that they actually don't meet lowered guidance in certain sectors. Well, and, and that would be, I think, the kicker here. You know, we have an S&P that's up 5% on the year. Guy, when you look at some of the sectors, so in Butter's note, um, the financials and material sectors have been the largest decreases um, in EPS, uh, EPS estimates for Q1. Um, we know that the utility sector is the only sector that has seen an increase in EPS estimates for Q1. Analysts mm -hmm. also lowered EPS estimates for S&P 500, uh, 500 companies for the calendar year 2023 by uh, just under 4% uh, during the quarter. So that's the full year. That That's a good step here. But the stock market right now is not really discounting, I think, to Liz's point, further cuts as we get through Q1 earnings and what we might learn about that and what they might guide to for the balance of the year. You have to see it when we, yes, but when you start seeing it in some of these high-flying tech names that, you know, again, given the backdrop, I, th I think almost by definition, you have to start to see some earnings revisions. That's probably why the market is holding in. You know, the market can withstand financials, I think, it can, can stand some of the material stuff, you know, it can stand those cuts. But when you start getting some of the bigger names, some of the big technology names, some of the big software names involved, that's when things get a little bit dicey. So this is another great visual to illustrate exactly that. You know, you've lost a couple when you start losing the balance. You know, when this thing makes its way into some of the sectors that until now have been impervious, that's when we have the situation that I think is inevitable, the market getting down to levels we've talked about a number of times. All right. Well, that's kind of it, Liz. We we laughed, we cried, we talked baseball. <laughs> no, but uh, we, you know what we didn't do, by the way, because you you know you had to say John Butters. Since everybody's waiting for me to say it, this is how I will say it. In the late 1970s, I believe the great Bad Company, led by Paul Rogers, released an album, Bad Company, and one of the songs on the album was Bad Company. So <laughs> I'm going to sort of drop this. People don't realize it's coming. I think it's going to be out by Christmas of this year. Butters is releasing an album called Butters, and the song <laughs> single is going to be Butters. Back to you, Dan. Uh, All right, Liz. I mean, I mean, this just makes your week, and we know you love does. Thursdays. We know you love Thursdays. I don't know if I love Thursdays more than Mondays or Mondays more than Thursdays. I just love everything about it. Yeah, you so know what? She, you know, I'm going to share something that EY shared. You know, she made her mother go on Hall of Presidents, not Hall of Presidents, It's a Small World 20 consecutive times. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. I mean, I was a child. This wasn't recent, but. Oh, <laughs> that's a good, good qualifier. <laughs>
<laughs> but yes, I did. And she obliged. She did it. Of course she did. But that's, <laughs> see, that's what you learned here on Market Call, Dan. I that, don't know what to tell you. That's why we do this. Yeah. We, you know, we're not the STs on the IC. We're a whole different show. <laughs> anyway, that's it. You're not fibs either. No, don't we're not fibs. fibs. By the way, a lot of comments about fibs in the comment section, oddly <laughs> enough. I want to thank EY from SoFi. I want to thank Butters. I want to thank FactSet and SoFi. Uh, check us out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and smash the shit out of the like button and watch the Yankee game today. Dan, anything else? No, and if you want more Liz with Guy and myself, you can tune in every Monday for the On the Tape podcast where Liz is our co-host, and we take a look ahead of what we're focused on for the, the trading week and uh, have a little good banter like this. Sometimes it's a bit more on the rails than the market call, I think, mm. uh, a little bit. But uh, So check that out in the podcast stores. Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Liz. We'll see you all next week on Monday. Market call. Oh,